This is out of bounds. What <laughs> you've been waiting for, folks. <laughs> this is out of bounds. And oh, baby, we are starting. Oh, yeah. We are starting to shake it off, John. Oh, All yeah. the anxiety of the mm-hmm. weekend, of, of mm-hmm. Manic Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a blank space right now on my Twitter, mm-hmm. X, whatever you want to call it, tweet, because I'm trying to formulate um, what I want to say mm-hmm. um, about this episode because I've seen this show before and I didn't like the ending. Yeah, I got like half of those. I call myself a periphery Swifty. I wouldn't call myself a full-blown Swifty, but we're going to have a lot of fun here on this edition of Out of Bounds. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. Welcome to your home for the weird, wacky, and wild in the sports world. This is Out of Bounds on the Know Your News Network, and we have a lot to get into today in what is no doubt going to be a fun episode. How was your weekend, Mia? A little stressful, some crazy stuff going on down there in Jag- Jaguar. Yeah, you know, the, the sky is falling. They lose to the lowly Texans and their uh, four out of five offensive linemen who were journeyman backups. Um, can't get any pressure, drops everywhere. But the reality of it is, John, um, the tankathon, the tank of Arizona, yes, the Arizona Cardinals, defeated the Dallas Cowboys, who everyone was ready to cl- uh, claim as the 1985 Bears reincarnated. Um, so, Wacky week in the National Football mm-hmm. League, uh, in the infamous words of our departed Dolphin uh, whisperer, A.A. Ron, relax. I think that's very important, and that's what we do here on Out of Bounds. Yes, that is our goal here. We'd like to relax with you guys. KYNchat.com is your place to go. Or if you're watching via YouTube, you can just head on over there and leave those Super Chats because the Super Chats are the way that you guarantee that you get your stuff Red on air here on Out of Bounds, and we are going to really, really want some of your input today because we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Mia, we always start our show off with an opening toast, so uh, I toast with my caramel whiskey from Old Smoky here today. I toast to true love. I toast to manifestation. I toast to making dreams come true with a little ASMR. There it is. Cheers to that. I've got my nice little Lagunitas IPA. Mm. I'm sure a lot of y'all who I already see in the comments that are distraught about your football team, you could use it too. Crack one open uh, or drink water. I I have some of that too because hydration is also important. Um, Go forth. Live long, prosper. Because we have a new super couple and oh my God, John, how iconic is this? All right, here we go. Ready? The Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift super couple rumors have been confirmed. With T-Swift showing up at the Chiefs-Bears game in support of Travis and sitting with his mother, Donna. And then afterwards, we saw a video of them leaving Arrowhead together in the tunnels. This has dominated everything. Mia, the way I look at it, this is what NFL Red Zone should be every single weekend now. Just show us wherever Taylor Swift is sitting and give us camera cuts to that this is it's truly a pop culture phenomena but it does beg the question are we stoked for travis kelsey or are we just a little bit worried for him i mean the track record could suggest worry but here's the thing john a week ago today we were all debating like do we think this is real and then jason kelsey goes on local philadelphia radio he's like no it's real 
And you're like, okay, sure. He's just sticking up for his guy, his brother, whatever. She literally has already met the parents. <laughs> like she has met the mom. Like she's hanging out with Donna, who's a celebrity in her own right. Like we were watching Sunday night football last night and it popped up and I'm like, I feel like I'm living in the upside down, like an alternate universe. Like how? Like it's real. And so, so two parts to this mm-hmm. one, obviously Taylor Swift's track record scares people off. However, as I noted on last week's program, she has never dated a pro athlete of all the boyfriends she's written songs about before, which obviously Travis Kelsey, like get ready, buddy. You signed up for that. She has never dated a professional athlete. Now, I bring that up not to say that now this is the fix. If you go through the list of guys she has dated, it is a lot of musicians, athletes, of which Travis Kelsey obviously aspires to have that sort of side hustle, not the music part of it, but, you know, he's in every commercial seemingly these days. But I just get Travis Kelsey vibes of self-deprecating dad humor. Obviously cares about his brand just like she does. The biggest reason that her and her last boyfriend, who was she was together with for six years, amicably split was because he essentially said to her, I can't live the lifestyle that you live, that you can't go to a grocery store, that I want to keep things low key. You leave the house and there are cameras everywhere. Um, Travis Kelsey is okay with that. I firmly believe that. I, he wants the cameras. He wants the attention. And I do think that that self-deprecating, lovable, goofball humor, just like, let's go down the list of guys that Taylor Swift has dated, because I know the internet is is ready for us, right? So guys that Taylor Swift has dated, are you ready? So Joe Alwyn was the most recent one. Um, You got Calvin Harris, Jake Gyllenhaal, Joe Jonas, John Mayer, Taylor Lautner, Harry Styles, Corey Monteith, like, it's all actors and guys that, with all due respect, a little vain. And from what I heard from Jaguars players that went against Travis Kelsey last week, he's a bit of a talker. So maybe he's probably the closest pro athlete to those actors. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I just get this vibe. Like, hello. He hit on her by giving her a friendship bracelet with well, his phone okay. number on it. So. And then talking about it publicly. I, I think it's adorable. Like, it is, I, it is I adorable. am rooting for them. It, and, and I'm rooting for them, too. I just am worried, not just on the sake of, well, if things go south, you're probably going to have an album and I'll even, even though it's not a super chat, I'll throw this up because it's a good comment. Sports and things show says if this doesn't work out, her next album, 87. I like that. Um, Aside from that, I mean this respectfully because I appreciate impassioned fan bases. I really do. Swifties are nuts. Oh, wow. And this, and this the is the number going. of stories today of like a primer on who Travis Kelsey is. There's, understand the case. There's a, there's a picture going viral on X or whatever it is of Taylor Swift in the suite. And they did a micro analysis of what she had on her plate that she was eating. It was yeah, a chicken it was nugget. Ranch. It yeah, was ketchup and. She's built for the Midwest. She may have been raised in the Philly area in New Jersey. And this is what Travis Kelsey is now subjected to. And you said last week, you're like, well, you know, Travis Kelsey, he's a famous athlete. You can go into any store and get recognized. You know, I I didn't think Travis Kelsey really reached that point yet. Now he's going to. Now right, and I think he's okay with it. He already was in every freaking commercial, John. We watched Sunday Night Football last night. He's in 60% of the commercials. But now, He's in more than Mahomes. There, there is no doubting this. I, I thought a lot about this over the course of the week. Taylor Swift 
there is a legitimate case that next to Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, she might be the most famous person in the world. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> That's actually quite the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> right. So I, I've been thinking about this. So putting that into perspective, that this is who you're going to be dating. And you yourself are pretty famous yourself, but right. you are going to be linking up with one of the most famous human beings who attracts a cult-like following. Guess what happens, Mia? If Travis Kelsey has a few down games, guess what the narrative then becomes? Taylor Swift is distracting him. Taylor Swift is distracting him. The Swifties are getting in the way of his focus. It could get ugly. These Swifties, a large majority of them probably do not have full context understanding of the soap opera that is the NFL. And... It could get ugly. It could, I feel bad for them that many of their first exposure was to the Chicago Bears in the first place because they had, also to, that. they had to be subjected to that ugliness. But that's a thing, John. And like, granted, that was a dub for the Chiefs from the get-go. That's probably why she went because she knew it was an automatic dub um, with all due respect to our Bears fans in the comments. But here's the thing. When I thought about, oh, is Taylor Swift spotted at a Chiefs game? It's going to be like her with sunglasses on, like super like subdued. Incognito? No, not at all. No, she's <laughs> with Donna. She is like, she knows football. I guess her dad had season tickets to the Eagles when she was a kid growing up, someone reported. So like, she clearly knows football. She knows what's going on. She's cheering appropriately. Not like, oh my God, there he is. Like she legit was like locked in. And they're, they're like, again, she met the parents already. Did you see the video of Patrick Mahomes? Which one? Patrick Mahomes was on the sideline in between series waving at the at the box that she was using. And it's just crazy because Patrick Mahomes' dad played Major League Baseball, so he knew a little thing or two about fame. But I I, I mean, I love it. I, if in jest, in jest, if they can lean in, and they should lean into it. They should lean into the bit as much as possible. But I cracked up at the video that was taken of them in the tunnel as they walked by, which essentially 1,000% confirmed everything if the confirmation of her sitting with Donna wasn't enough. And the look that Travis Kelsey gives the guy filming, he was like, buddy, you better not mess this up for me because it is, it is, and this is the most wholesome part, okay? And Rich Eisen tweeted this, and I totally agree. This is the manifestation of you miss 100% of the shots you don't mm-hmm. take, right? Yep. And and that's why I said, hey, if anyone has any Natalie Portman or Rachel Lee Cook mm-hmm. contacts, I'm here. Let me know. Drop a super chat. I'll get that in there. This, no, is, this is a win for everyone out there who's ever been afraid to shoot their shot. And he did. And he did it in such like, I, as a, as a woman, like in the most adorable way, like it's extremely endearing. Um, I, I mean, if you're Taylor Swift and you've been dating all these vain actors and musicians who are, you know, so worried about what the perception of you is. And meanwhile, here's a guy who is a celebrity and he's out here talking about making you a friendship bracelet at your concert and wanting to meet you. Like, no offense, you've de- dated a lot of doofuses, a lot of guys way older than you that treated you like a child. Like, enjoy this endearing, what what it appears to be, endearing goofball who already introduced you to his mom, who's also kind of a celebrity now. I, I love it. Um, I-, I would be remiss, though, John. Um, I was asked by Kevin, my boyfriend, uh, also a noted Swifty himself, um, can John Alba name five Taylor Swift songs for us? 
Okay. Um, anti-hero. Yep. Shake it off. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I, I know how a lot of them go. It's naming the actual song titles that I might struggle with. Um, uh, like, I hear the songs. Uh, um, is 1989 a song? Or is it just an album? No, it's just the album. Album, okay. Um, is Red a song? Red is a song. Hey, Red is a song. There you um, go. Super chats, commenters. Don't I mean, do is not... Midnight's is Midnight's a song too? Is Midnight? No, I think it's okay. No. No, it's, that's just yeah, the no. album title. Yeah. Um, blank space. There you go. It's four. Um, and oh god. Um. It's a love story. There it is. Got it. There you go. Yes. All right. Fantastic. I just God. needed. I needed it to. Come. I've. I've. I've listened to all of her albums. It's just yeah. getting, well, yeah, especially for yourself as a musician, and like yeah, especially well, her indie stuff. In her. She's got a lot of Springsteen influence. Oh in yeah, her, her indie stuff during COVID, which like I'm not as much of a fan yeah. of. Um, but like the lyrics and stuff, like in the last year or so, I've listened to it a little bit more and. Mm-hmm. That ish is real. It's deep. I know so. another guy that writes like that. Well, we are wishing them nothing but the best here on Out of Bounds. It's a there's potential that this could become a reoccurring weekly segment. We'll see. I'm so excited. <laughs> Honestly, like as everyone in Duval is like the sky is falling. I, I someone sent me the video and I was like, honestly, like my faith in humanity has been restored in this one moment. It's it is truly, truly a shoot your shot bro go for it and see how it goes uh let's keep going here mia let's go down to south beach yeah do you feel bad for sean payton john alba i really don't honestly (laughs) okay all right cool all right so let's get into this uh the dolphins defeated payton's denver broncos 70 to 20 the dolphins had 726 yards of total offense which two only had i think 300 passing which is incredible and they could have captured an nfl record 73 points had they gone for a late field goal Head coach Mike McDaniel, noted Bronco ball boy as a child, said it would have been bad karma to try and go for history and was content kneeling it out. Karma is also the name of a Taylor Swift song. John, is this good karma for Miami or a wasted opportunity? I'll tell you, I think I'm ready to add Mike McDaniel as the ball boy for the Broncos to the bit. I'm ready to put that one in that so we can add that to the list if you would like to. Boy, I'll say this right off the bat. Two things that are true and not mutually exclusive to the question. Number one, the Dolphins are pretty good. And number two, the Broncos are really bad. Those two things can live separately uh, in the periphery of this question. Good karma? You know what? I think the Dolphins have a lot to do in terms of building goodwill with their fans in the league after how this franchise has been run for so long. And the last couple of years they've made a lot of progress in that so i don't have an issue with them not going for record i mean ultimately mia do people talk all that much about the most points scored in an nfl game like it is a cool stat but i don't think that's something that fans really worry that much about i don't think unless it was a shootout game that people i mean i know the jags the jags in 2000 in dan marino's final game in the playoffs hung like 60 on them 
And people here still talk about that. But also, I think it was the sim- the symbolism of it was Dan Marino's last game, and they sent him off into retirement. Sure, okay, that's a niche thing, but right. I, I don't I don't think that it's something that people care about. It's seventy three points in a game that really, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean all that much. So you won by fifty. I am a believer that you play the game the right way. I have no problem with doing a little showboating, but I do think that would have probably been excessive. What's crazy is that Russell Wilson wasn't all that bad. No, they just stink. They're just a bad team. I mean, he was 23 of 38. Granted, the Dolphins had backups in in the fourth quarter, uh, although Mike White only two of two, for what it's worth. Jets legend. Um, 306 yards for Russ, one touchdown, one pick. It's not like he was a pick machine or anything. Like, it, it, the Dolphins bad. offense is just that good. And They're that good. Sad. The it's sad because the, the Broncos defense was great during the Vic Fangio and Nathaniel Hackett eras, despite all the shortcomings of everything else in those administrations. Um, and, you know, that, that's what's concerning to me, is how has this defense, which has so much of the same personnel from the last few years that everyone kept saying, they're a, head, they're a quarterback away, now they're a head coach away. Uh, how has it regressed so much under Peyton? That's my bigger concern. This guy's been away from the league for a few years, and, you know, Things change and you come in. I, you, I'm not going to sit here and judge a guy based on his first three games at the helm. It, it does take time to establish chemistry with players and get a system in full swing. I think it just comes under a microcosm more because this guy was out here slinging insults at the Broncos previous coaching regime. And I think because of that, you got to eat what you serve up, right? And he's building that, himself a buffer, quite frankly. He probably realized how bad it was. And so he's like, oh, I better build myself a buffer if things go a little awry early on. Um, I mean, you know, and I see in in our chat, you know, everyone noting the number of drops um, by Broncos wide receivers. Uh, trust me, I, I cover the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I have heard all about drops. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Uh, they lead the league. At the end of the day, they gave up 70 points, Sean. Well, so, like, I mean, how do you feel about the question itself? Should they have gone for 73? Should they have gone for the record? Um, no, I appreciate Mike McDaniel and his quirkiness saying I need karma on my side and be classy. Um, I'm okay with it. Also, it's a real nice even number that, you know, they had seven touchdowns and they scored. Or they had, seven, ten, touch, they had ten touchdowns, excuse me. And 70 so. points. Think about that. That's Madden stuff, right? Right. So four passing touchdowns, 309 yards, 23 of 26. It took two uh, two hours to have an incompletion, John. If you doubted him before, you cannot doubt him anymore. No, I love the manifestation of Tua as a high-quality NFL quarterback coming off of his injuries last year even and the year before that. And now they're actually leaning into their run game too. And Mm -hmm. what's amazing is there was all this speculation that Dalvin Cook was going to come home to South Florida and save the run game. And they have been A-OK without him as he has struggled in New York. Um, And so I give all the credit in the world to Mike McDaniel. My only concern with the Dolphins, because I know everyone's riding that hype train right now, and they do look great. And you want to crown them already as among the all-time best offenses. Can Tua stay healthy? Because he has not made it a full season since his sophomore year of college. Or since his freshman year, for what it's worth. And he he only played one game. Yeah, but I I still stand by it. I think from a story perspective, it is a great storyline to see Tua Tungavailoa 
become the guy that everyone hyped him to be and thought he was going to be as this transformative quarterback coming out of Alabama and making the transition to the NFL with a head coach who really does get it with him. And I like Brian Flores. I thought Brian Flores was a good head coach. Yeah, I thought he got dealt a bad hand. But, and, and I do think ultimately he did, but it's very clear that Mike McDaniel, who once upon a time was a ball boy for the Denver Broncos, uh, is the guy for him and understands how to utilize Tua and this offense, and they have built this into a machine. It's good because this is a team that has been perpetually uncompetitive for they decades. literally tanked for Tua, and people still question them yeah. after they selected him. Yeah, and I mean, for decades now, they have been uncompetitive, and they have an opportunity to go and make those fans happy in a division. Like, now is the time, if you're in the AFC East, now is the time to strike. The Patriots are streaky. The Jets stink right now. The Bills are streaky. This is your opportunity to go out there and win a division title and try to make a run in the playoffs. And I don't care if you're going for 73 points, 70 points, whatever it is, show teams around the league week in and week out that we are a dominant force. I was reading the 98 Yankee book by Jack Curry. And one of the things that really stood with me when I read that book was the reason the Yankees were so dominant is because every single night in a 162 game season, they wanted to go out there and beat the living hell out of their opponents. That was their idea. And that's why they were so successful. And yeah, maybe the Dolphins don't want to go for the record here out of class, but the idea should be to try to hang 70 on every opponent. Yeah. Because I wish, you know, the team I cover had that dog in them, um, the capacity to score 70 points, but also the, the sheer, just like you said, you need to impose your will night in and night out and strive for perfection. It's not good enough to just say, yeah, this one's a, you know, this is a dub. We're good. No, you, you need to have that mentality if you're going to succeed in the national football league and professional sports. Now there's a team Mia that uh, was less than perfect. This well, week. yeah, they're zero and three and they are the Minnesota Vikings. This story is so freaking crazy. Ready for this? So here we go. So yeah. the Vikings trail the chargers by four points with 35 seconds to go on the LA six yard line in Minnesota. So they're home. Okay. They didn't have any timeouts, but rather than spiking the ball to stop the clock and draw up a play, they hurry to the line to try and score quickly. Catch the Chargers sleeping, right? One problem. The home crowd of 66,000 plus at US Bank Stadium was so loud that Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins couldn't hear head coach Kevin O'Connell calling a play in his ear. And 23 seconds ran off the clock before the ball was snapped, ultimately resulting in a game-ending interception. <laughs> this is so Minnesota Vikings for what they've been going through the past few years. Mia, did the crowd screw the Vikings or did the Vikings screw the Vikings here? Absolutely the latter. No question about it. Have some situational awareness, Kirk Cousins. You're not an elite quarterback, but at the very least, you're pretty good in between the years. Um, I don't know how he didn't think to just, you know, spike it himself without Kevin O'Connell telling him what to do. This is a Vikings team that won. They were 11 and 0 in one possession games last year, which is an NFL best all time. I mean, you talk about lightning in a bottle and impossible to repeat. It's that. And they are seeing it firsthand right now. Um, I, I think the offense has been obviously hindered by the lack of a running game. They cut ties with Dalvin Cook. The run game has really not been able to develop anything. The Chargers defense is a story for another time, so I'm not going to dive into that. Mm -hmm. um, but 
it just comes down to this is a pretty similar team, albeit with the aforementioned Brian Flores as defensive coordinator, which I honestly, the first two weeks of the season, John, thought their defense looked okay. Like, I thought they at least looked a little bit more in sync um, than they did last year, despite going to the playoffs last year, and they looked more disciplined. I think that's a signature of a Brian Flores defense. Um, But that offense is exactly the same. They are exactly the same as the team the Giants beat in the playoffs and that went 11-0 and in one possession games last year, and they didn't have the situational awareness. I just crack up that you build a stadium like that with the idea – that your crowd is going to get loud as hell. And those Vikings fans are passionate. Mm-hmm. They they get loud. They've been through a lot too. And they have been through a lot as well. Absolutely. So here they are, so excited that this team is making a last-second comeback, driving down the field. And because the crowd is so excited, the Vikings screw the pooch and blow the game. Against With 35 seconds. It wasn't five seconds, Don. No, it was 35. they had time to breathe against a team in the Chargers who perpetually screw the pooch themselves. That's the beauty of all of this. The Chargers always lose games like this. this and is both not were a game. 0-2 coming into this game, yeah. too. This is not a game that the Los Angeles Chargers typically win in situations like this, usually because of their own undoings. In this case, I just think it is so funny with all the modern technology that we have, where you've got a speaker in your ear from your headset in your helmet and the crowd was so loud by design that that, can you imagine like like okay when the opposing team is driving you got the big scoreboard they throw up the graphic get loud get loud defense defense they want the crowd cheering and cheering and then reverse it teams on office shh shh Quiet, quiet, everyone. Kirk Cousins needs to call the play. He needs to figure out what he's going to say. He doesn't know there's 35 seconds left. They don't have any time. Also, how do you not have a play ready? Like, how do you not have a play ready in that situation? A two-minute offense. According to the Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell, the play that they ended up running was the play that Kevin O'Connell was going to call anyway. So they were on the same track, the same mind track of running. They're going to probably... Had three or four. Well, if you spike it, second. they would have had three plays. Yeah, they would have had three. three yeah, mm-hmm. you had three plays, and that you at least give yourself a chance to breathe. In thirty-five own- seconds, you could have had all three shots at the end no, zone. There's no. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they didn't have the right mentality uh, at all. I mean, there's there's definitely merit right in trying to catch the defense sleeping in a position like that when you have some momentum coming off a fourth down. You want to go, but. So then you know what you do? You run a quick track, a quick check out of bounds, right? You do something just to move a little closer. I couldn't believe that this happened. This with the technology we have and with how fans are encouraged to be part of these games. I can't believe this happened. But it really is a microcosm of Kirk Cousins, isn't it? Like he's a perennial underachiever. And I'm sorry that I'm like being rude like that, but he's a No, but it's true. I mean, what was he before last year? And again, you're never going to go 11 and 0 in one possession ball games ever, ever again. Like, you yeah. know, and it's nothing against Kirk Cousins because I think they have assembled such a treasure trove of riches around him outside of perhaps the running back position that it's very easy when you can just throw it to Justin Jefferson and he's going to run on down there and I don't know, you know, go for a cool seven catches for 149 yards. Yeah. Like, and that was on a bad day for him that it took him a little bit of time to get going. And he potentially got hurt in the fourth quarter. Like that is a luxury and you still couldn't pull it out. 
At least Vikings showed up for four quarters. Let's go to a team that did not show up at all, Mia. Yeah, well, we knew it was going to end at some point. Uh, So after weeks of capturing the imagination of college football fans everywhere and and an entire nation, Deion Sanders in Colorado may as well have not even shown up in Eugene, Oregon. They got absolutely butchered by the Ducks, 42 to six. They fall out of the top 25 of the AP votes. They previously were number 19. John, did we convince ourselves to buy into the hype <laughs> too much? I feel like on this show, we were pretty realistic yeah. and realistic <laughs> with the Dion stuff. I mean, you wanted it to succeed because it creates great storylines. But there's a lot of people right now who think that they are going to just be booty the rest of the way this season. And you know, they got USC coming up here and see if they get smacked around there by them. It's hopefully a humbling lesson for Deion Sanders, right? You learn from it. Maybe this was just a blip in how much they got smacked around. But I'll be honest, I don't think it was. I think they showed that they probably overachieved a little bit in the beginning of the season. And now we got adversity. How do we respond in the face of adversity? Well, he already spun it. Did you not see? He already spun it as we're not supposed to be competitive this year. Ah, I see. It's I it's see. it's a bonus that we've been able so, to do. So let me get this straight. So let me get this straight. For the first three weeks of the season, four weeks of the season, it's – you doubted us. We you we told you what we were going to be, and you apologized to me as a media member for doubting us. And now it's oh well, we we were never supposed to be competitive. That's that's what we're doing now. Yes, because everyone thought they were going to get blown out by twenty plus against TCU, uh, and they didn't. And guess what? They did get blown out by twenty plus against Oregon and the Pac twelve. As of this writing, um, there were six inter-ranked matchups on Saturday, five if you don't count Iowa-Penn State, um, and half of them involve Pac-12 teams. The Pac-12, in its final year of having as many teams as they do, although I do kind of want to hint on the Pac-2 title game because one of the best games of the weekend, um, the reality is this is the Conference of Champions, John. It is not going to be an easy road to hoe for one Deion Sanders the rest of the season because, wait for it, now you get USC next week, all right? Then you get Arizona State. In Tempe, though, so I temper that with that. Um, thankfully, Stanford and Cal are still in the conference, so at least you'll have those two dubs. Arizona's a home game, so there's some potential there. So I do see a road for them to become bowl eligible, which according well, to think, Dion, I that would be a success in year one. I think they're bowl eligible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're not going to be. They, they'll get it together, but this No, but is they not... weren't supposed to be. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. The reality is, is that the rest of that conference was always going to be this good. And I think Dion knew that, um, but I think he just cashed in on the moment, and I don't blame him. So, um, as far as uh, I don't know how much you've watched the Conference of Champions, John, um, but USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, like all four of those teams, all four of which Colorado has to face this year, could be top ten teams oh, when yeah. all is said and done. Absolutely. I mean, look, or, or take take nothing. From Oregon. Oregon looked awesome in this game. Right. Uh, let's talk briefly about Oregon real quick. Um, Dan Lanning, very passionate pregame, very passionate in-game interview. Yeah. We're playing for wins. They're playing for clicks. Um, Which is great. I love that swag. Okay. So what that. do you make of that? It's great. Versus, versus Ryan Day. 
absolutely just going after 86-year-old geriatric Lou Holtz. Well, I see nothing wrong with that either, but... No, (laughs) come on. Like, there is a clear difference between Lou Holtz at a Notre Dame pep rally on the Pat McAfee yeah, show. I got no problem. I'm I'm not a Lou Holtz guy, but I, right, I mean, neither am I. But like, he's an old man who coached there, and also like what he said yeah, really he wasn't also, all that well, offensive. No, like, no, I mean it wasn't offensive, but I. Ryan I don't Day know. went in with an agenda. Dan Lanning went in with like this is war and this is the rally yeah, cry. And my because he felt like, hey, we're the better team, and nobody's giving us credit for it. And yep. honestly, and they have been, and they have been a great team the first yeah, three weeks of the and, season, and and I think for him. That's where the Ryan Day thing upset me because that was clearly for Ryan Day's ego and like trying to save his job and like try to convince the state of Ohio that even if he loses to Michigan this year, that he should remain the coach. Um, so that's what that was. Dan Lanning for me was sticking up for the rest of the Pac 12 and saying, hey, we could have four teams in the top 10 when all is said and done. Watch the rest of us. Don't just watch Dion. And that I did appreciate. Well, and I think he put in the context of his players too. He's like, you know, you guys are the ones being overlooked here more than anything else and it showed in that game just with how good they were they were a well-oiled machine throughout the course of that game i mean right out of the gates they established a tone and they said "Uh, don't even get your hopes up about showing up for the second half because it did nothing for them and you know you hope colorado gets humbled by it you hope that dion now actually goes back to the drawing board and says okay let's do things the right way here from the rest of the season but actually recruit the trenches actually have sure. defensive and offensive linemen sure um but uh yeah it's uh it's it's gonna be one of those things where you have to try and keep yourself in context for the rest of the season and understand you can still be proud of your team you can still be excited about what you've accomplished but you have to be realistic and motivating your players and it's easy because you know now mia Colorado can come out and look real bad for the next few weeks after suffering a gut punch like that. But it's going to be a true test for Dion to see if he can actually keep them motivated to stay on that track of trying to shock the world. One loss hurts you like that, but it doesn't mean that their season's over. They can come out here and they could pull off some pretty shocking wins and still be considered a top team. I don't think it'll be this weekend against USC, but then again, it's a 10 a.m. local kick, which is absurd. So who knows? Um, We would love if you guys leave super chats, but Eddie in the YouTube chats uh, has shouted out Wazoo and Oregon State. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Pac-2 champions. John, did you see this from over the weekend? Because it's borderline one of the best things that I saw. So obviously those are the two teams that as of this writing – are still members of the Pac-12 in 2024, which would make it the Pac-2. I'm going to put this in our uh, conversation so you can see this uh, and maybe even pop it up for our listeners. Um, There actually was a promotional poster made in Hmm. conjunction by the two universities' athletic departments Mm. called the Pac Brothers, like Step Brothers. Yes, I see And Benny Beaver and Butch T. Cougar did, like, the cutest, like, at the beginning of the game, like, they were, like, BFFs skipping in together. They were in the car together. And it was also a really good football game because I think both quarterbacks are proving a lot right now. And the offenses are awesome. And the Palouse is always loose. So, Oh, boy. Let's keep moving here, Mia. This is a fun one. I'm excited to talk about this. I'm a yeah. big jersey guy. I don't have a lot of jerseys, but I like watching what jerseys teams roll out. The Minnesota Timberwolves and Orlando Magic. Both revealed throwback jerseys this month that are going to be part of their arsenals this season. 
prompted calls for some more nostalgia jerseys in sports. So I ask you, what is one jersey across any league, any sport, that you'd like to see return? Independent of me covering them, uh, as a child, I did love the Jaguars, the vintage with the teal. Um, and the Maurice Jones-Drew, the old school Jaguar logo. They got kind of away from it in his later years of his career where it was kind of like this weird, just solid white, solid bluish, weird color. Um, but the old school teal, I appreciate it quite quite a lot. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, other old school. Well, I, I would like to go on a bit of a side tangent and uh, – <laughs> discuss all black jerseys and the the popularity of them in 2023. We have the Indianapolis Colts, John, the Iowa State Cyclones. It seems like every team in every sport wants to do the blackout, especially on the gridiron. And while it's certainly cool and the whiteout of Penn State perhaps is part of what has spurred that, although they don't wear white at the whiteout, which I don't understand. Um, I feel like these like color outs, I have feelings about them, but in terms of your original question, yeah, I'm going to be a homer and I'm going to say that. Although I do want to also pay tribute since I have my U Darvish, um, bobblehead next to me, San Diego Padres. Thank you for returning to your roots. And also their alternate city jerseys are awesome. Well, you know, on the black front, the, the Mets had that whole campaign where all the fans wanted the black jerseys to come back because they were so nostalgic for them. The Florida thought, Gators are having a blackout, John. I never like, got the what appeal. are we doing? I never got the appeal of the black Mets jerseys, but so many people were so nostalgic for them that they did bring them back. Uh, they haven't done them any good. The jerseys I want to see back, many of you may not even be familiar with these jerseys. Back in the mid-'90s, Major League Baseball ran a promotion called Turn Ahead the Clock. Mm. You ever heard of this, Mia? Mm-mm. Turn Ahead the Clock night. This is good stuff here. Major League Baseball was like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, we turn the clock ahead to 2050. What would jerseys look like? And naturally, because it was the future, everything was super spacey and chrome and they're like, you know what's something that Major League Baseball players are probably going to be doing then? They're probably going to be wearing cutoffs. They're not even going to be wearing sleeves. So select teams had turn-ahead-the-clock jerseys. Here is your boy Alexander Emanuel. Oh, love that. Wearing his chrome helmet and his cutoff Seattle Mariners turn-ahead-the-clock logo jersey. I like that. Now, what is that on his jersey? Couldn't tell you. Why is it maroon, too? That's not even the Mariners' colors. Oh, the Royals wore, like, bright yellow jerseys. That's weird. Uh, The font is... That's worse than the italics because they had to. They had to do italic font because of the future. And uh, this was called Turn Ahead the Clock instead of Turn Back the Clock. Well, I think we should turn back the clock by bringing Turn Ahead the Clock jerseys back. And I think every Major League Baseball team should have to do it one time next season. And we will see, and we will see they they should have to wear the jerseys that the teams wore back then. And we can come up with some more as well. I just thought it was hilarious that the idea was, well, they're just all going to wear cut off sleeves. 
Like, that's futuristic. Clearly. It's going to be very hot because of global warming, right. which they weren't even talking about. Then then Al Gore hadn't like, gotten on that. all the alien graphics and everything. I'm like, what? Are we just assuming that aliens are just going to be among us? Yeah, and like 25 years from now, John, we're going to have the aliens roaming about Earth. I don't know. Well, uh, boy, I, I'll tell you what. At this rate, Mia, the Arizona Coyotes might be playing on another planet. Yeah, it's kind of sad as we flip our attention now to the National Hockey League, of which the first preseason game in the Southern Hemisphere uh, went ahead Saturday after officials apparently solved some issues with the quality of the ice at Melbourne's Rod Laver Arena, which is the arena where the Australian Open, as in tennis, on clay is held. Um, Ahead of Saturday's Global Series game between the Kings and the aforementioned Coyotes, Won by the Coyotes 5-3. There were reports and photos on social media of the state of the ice surface with puddles, ruts, uneven coloring of the painted lines. John, will the Coyotes ever find an actual functioning place to play (laughs) hockey? I don't think they're ever going to, honestly. They're probably used to it. They play in a desert, and they went to go play on clay. So I think it's okay. Well, you know, this is a team that literally got kicked out of their home arena. They had to make the trek over to Arizona State's hockey arena club hockey built club on campus hockey. they built on campus that seats about five six thousand people so you have an nhl team a professional league that one of the biggest professional leagues in the country if not the world for its sport playing in a five thousand person arena it's embarrassing and so much now we ingrain stadium solutions with keeping teams in that respective market uh, but now we're facing a realistic question where it's like, I think the only way to keep this team there is to actually build a quality arena. And I just don't see them ever gain. And the saddest part is how can fans possibly care? How can they possibly care? Because the Cardinals are so bad. I mean, they are bad. Good, so it doesn't matter. Sons are good. And the Diamondbacks are okay. Sons are good. The Diamondbacks are probably going to the playoffs. So yeah. like, they're, they're good. But it And it, it does beg the question, like, what is the interest in hockey in the market? Arizona State has a, a really high-intensity mm-hmm. hockey audience. They really do care, and they've made a lot of strides there over there. But, man, it's just like this is the ultimate embarrassment for a franchise to be subjected to. Even this in an exhibition game in Australia, it should be this cool, amazing thing. And they had their practice canceled because the ice started flooding because it's springtime in Australia right now. And it was too warm. It was 61 degrees and the ice started to melt. Well, see that I don't blame them though. That I blame the national hockey league. Like I applaud the NHL, the NBA, the NFL for wanting to have international series, for wanting to grow the game. I get it. But who planned having them play in Australia when it is spring. That's on them. Like, that's on the National Hockey League. That's not on the Arizona Coyotes. They just go where they're told to go. They just work here. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a shame. And I hope for their fans, all 5,000 that show up to their games, I hope that they deserve better and they get better. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, let's keep moving on here, Mia. We got two more topics to get to. Yeah, it's funny you put this one, John, because yeah. I actually was thinking about our predictions at the you? All-Star break as well. well um, then... to, to recap the 2023 Major League Baseball season as we approach the home stretch, or, or rather in it, the Padres blew up, the Yankees massively underachieved, the Mets were catastrophically bad, and eventually uh, 
flew the white flag. Uh, who blew it the most, though, this Major League Baseball season? <sighs> I think it's got to be the Mets, right? Yeah, but here's the difference, and we talked about this at the trade deadline. The difference is that the Mets conceded defeat and then immediately began rebuilding versus the Yankees, who are just going to chalk this up to, well, there was no continuity and we were injured again. And yeah, we're going to run That is what they are chalking it up to. Aaron Boone already said that yesterday, that, well, you know, if we were healthy, who's to say how things would have gone? And and it's going to be a perpetual cycle for this team until they change their philosophy uh, the Padres really were a massive underachievement this year, and I think everyone expected them to be a World Series contender. And apparently there's all this infighting within the organization. and People are questioning whether Manny Machado is the right guy to be a leader there. I mean, it's it's pretty bad. and Their front office is quarreling. with. They uh, haven't officially been mathematically eliminated, by the been, way. But it'd be pretty impossible for them to make the playoffs at this point. Not to say it can't happen. You never know. Uh, the, and that's because they've gone on a little bit of a – run in the last couple of weeks here of the season. Um, I just think it's, I mean, the Mets had a historically high payroll. And if you're going under the assumption of money can in fact help you win a championship uh, that was disproven pretty emphatically by the end of May, if not maybe the beginning of June with the New York Mets. And yeah, they did wave the white flag, but uh, they, they went in on two 40 ish year old pitchers to bring them to the world series and it backfired pretty miserably in their face. I think they are a significant sign of underachievement. And you hope if you're a Mets fan that addressing it early, got all this stuff out of the way. Right. And that's the difference between them and the Yankees right now is the Yankees continue to kick the can and the Mets at least said, all right, we're not going to be competitive for the next two years. We're going to rebuild. We're going to figure it out. The Yankees, meanwhile, just they're going to keep on keeping on. They're going to keep teaching their minor leaguers to jack home runs and change their stance instead of, you know, go for singles and doubles and simply getting on base and the sabermetric, whatever system you want to call it, they're using. And that's what's unfortunate about it. Um, I couldn't agree more with the Padres, although I did get to go out there and it's such a beautiful ballpark and Mm -hmm. people really get behind them. And it's just unfortunate, Um, but it's at least a destination, you know, spot that people go to games. What was was your most pleasant surprise of the baseball season then? Um, Well, actually, I was going to pair two things together, John, and I was going to say the Cincinnati Reds, who you talk about a young team that needs to learn how to win. I know they haven't been mathematically eliminated either, but if you would ask someone in July if the Reds are going to make the postseason, they were all but a surefire bet. And they certainly still could. But this last week or so, I mean, they were up, what, 13 nothing in the seventh inning the other day? And they lost in extras? Like, inexplicably, it's just turned on a dime. And yeah, so- but they weren't built to win this year. No, they weren't, but I still think it's a disappointment for Cincinnati, especially because yeah. the Bengals are 0-2 right now. Yeah. Um, and, and so, it's you know, but because here's the thing. Like, let's look at the Baltimore Orioles. Were they supposed the to Orioles, win this year? I, and they I think did. The, the Orioles are the fun story this year for sure. That I mean, they, they play a very enjoyable style of baseball, and it's exciting to see the consistency in which they play. They are a wildly consistent baseball team, which – I think baseball might be the hardest sport to be consistent in, quite frankly. And they, they are. And I think that's awesome. Brandon Hyde's done such a great job with that team. And they won a difficult division to win. Uh, it's a great story. But I think one of the coolest things is 
we are seeing one of the greatest MVP races ever right now between Acuna and Betts. These are two guys who are just blitzing history left and right. And I mean, what Ronald Acuna is doing right now for the Braves is unbelievable. And the fact that he still has someone challenging him for the MVP and Mookie Betts, uh, the talent in the National League. And then you could even argue Freddie Freeman's had one of the best seasons as a first baseman ever in Major League Baseball. So there is a lot of good that came with this season in addition to some of the busts that come. Right. It's honestly surprising given, uh, well, maybe it's not because it's Major League Baseball and they can barely market Mike Trout, let alone Shohei Otani or Aaron Judge. Um, But the fact that Ronald Acuna and what he is about to do is not getting the publicity that it probably should. I mean, the first 40 and 60 guy and how long, like, I I mean, the, the, the records he was breaking a month still to go in the season. The fact that the Atlanta Braves, who won the World Series two years ago, are knocking on the doorstep once again. Like, why are you not marketing them? Like, here in Jacksonville, because it's a brave city for the most part, like, people are all in on them. But it's unfortunate nationally. I don't think they're getting the love they deserve. Yeah, Jason Stark wrote a piece this past week in the Athletic that argued that this year's Braves offense might be the best offense of all time. And that's a pretty incredible statement in and of itself. All right, Mia, Beast of the Week time. Who did or... Who was the most beastly thing you saw in the sports world this week? So I have two. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to begin uh, with the obvious, uh, since we have not had a reference fully yet. Uh, Penn State, two touchdown favorites over the Iowa Hawkeyes on Saturday. Uh, shut out Iowa. 31 nothing. 93 plays run by the Nittany Lions compared to 33 by the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's not... You know, Bishop Sycamore and IMG, that is two Big Ten, FBS, college football programs going head-to-head. Big win for Rutgers West. Yes, the drive for 325 has hit its biggest challenge yet in Brian Ferentz's quest to average 25 points a game. And the other person I do want to give some flowers to, John, is Jordan Love. Um, A lot of people have questioned if he would be able to pick up the baton where A.A. Ron left it and – could the Packers, in theory, in a 40-year span, have three quarterbacks and hit on all three? Um, if you can lead your offense downfield and score 18 points in the fourth quarter, down 17-0, uh, I understand you're at home. I understand Derek Carr was injured. That says to me you're ready for the limelight. I don't disagree with you at all on that. I, I don't normally do repeats for Beasts of the Week, but I'm going to go back to Travis Kelsey because this yeah. is still the most beastly thing that's ever happened. And as we record this, Mia, TMZ put out a report. Oh, no. That says, oh, no, this is a good thing. Is it about the saxophone? Get ready for this. Ready? Here we go. Yeah. Travis Kelsey in the last 24 hours okay. has had a NFL record plus 400% increase in merchandise sales. I believe it. <laughs> As a result of this Taylor Swift, because these Swifties are going to start wearing Travis Kelsey jerseys to our concerts. And, and, and listen, uh, they already recognize him from commercials. I'm telling you, he is in every other commercial when you're watching an NFL game these days. Yes. And and by the way, uh, as I hit my microphone, um, Matt Gay, uh, the kicker yeah. for the Colts, as Ed points out in the chat there, uh, four plus four fifty plus yard field goals, which is pretty cool. Shout so, out to Gardner Minshew too. Well, of course, you have to get that in there. I'm not surprised, uh, but good stuff there. This has been out of bounds, Mia O'Brien. 
You're going to be traveling next week, but I'll be seeing you this weekend. Exactly. Yes. I'm excited to see you there. We will see you next week, nonetheless, right here on the Know Your News Network. This has been Out of Bounds. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.